0: So what I said to myself was that I will never let others have the wrong information that they do. So in my domain, I try every means possible to like educate others on the basics of HIV, and also because of that, I was being like put as an adolescent champion at my health facility mm-hmm. to like champion the other people to help them overcome stigma and discrimination, and also adhere their medication.
1: Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the hard conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African hi everyone welcome to another episode of living african podcast and we are on episode 40. my name is anya fombat and i am the host of living african podcast so today in honor of world aids day we will be addressing the topic of hiv and aids so hiv and aids or aids actually has always been one of those diseases that has drastically impacted our african community and has been around for as long as i can remember. Now growing up in Africa, this disease was synonymous to a death sentence and though there have been great strides and advances towards it, there's still a tremendous amount of stigma and stereotypical ideation towards this disease. With so many scientific developments, the prognosis of HIV and AIDS compared to 20 plus years ago has drastically improved and there are a lot of HIV positive patients who actually live their lives as normal as any other person who doesn't have it. So I went ahead and did some research on some statistics surrounding HIV and AIDS. And I'd love to share those numbers with you. So according to UNAIDS, about 37.7 million people globally were living with HIV in 2020. However, new HIV infections have been reduced by 52% since the peak in 1997, as about 1.5 million people were newly infected with HIV compared to about 3 million people in 1997. So Sub-Saharan Africa is actually home to two-thirds, about 67% of people living with HIV. And of the people living with HIV in 2020, about 36 million were adults and 1.7 million were children. Children ranging from the age of zero to 14 years of age and about 53 percent were women and girls. Now AIDS related deaths have been reduced by 64 percent since the peak in 2004 and by 47 percent since 2010. Now in 2020 around 680,000 people died from AIDS-related illnesses worldwide compared to 1.9 million people in 2004 and 1.3 million people in 2010. So that's definitely an improvement in the numbers and that goes to show that we have come this far, we have made great strides when it has to do with this disease. Now, of all people living with HIV, about 84% knew their status and 73% had access to treatment and about 66% were virally suppressed in 2020. So basically viral suppression as we will talk about eventually I believe it's like when your viral load that's the HIV virus in your blood it's very very low that it's almost unrecognizable. Now about 6.1 million people did not know that they were living with HIV. Based on this, the above statistics, it's definitely evident that there has been so much improvement when it comes to this disease. And so our purpose here on this episode is not only to educate our African community about this disease, but also to defy the stereotypes surrounding it. Now today I have with me two people who will be there to elaborate further about this disease. Now I have Honorine Bibe, who actually is a 23-year-old HIV patient or she's an HIV positive 23-year-old girl and she will be here to talk about her story and I definitely look forward to hearing about her story because I have spent the last two months trying to find someone who can openly be honest with their story with living with with HIV and AIDS and I have not found anybody. So when I found, came across her and she was willing to do that I really thought that was very commendable. So I really look forward to listening to her story, but a little bit more about Honoreen. She's a 23-year-old student, model, and an adolescent champion. And moreover, she is also currently in a modeling competition where her project is to stand for adolescents and young people living with HIV, as well as fight against the stigma surrounding AIDS and the discrimination against HIV and AIDS patients. And then now I also have with me my mother, who you guys have heard several times on, on this platform. Dr. Grace Fombert, who will also be here to add more insight from a healthcare provider's perspective on how far our society has come with this disease. Now, a little bit uh, of a background. I mean, my mom is not an infectious disease specialist, but I know growing up as my mother and as a medical doctor in the 90s, she did a lot of work with HIV and AIDS patients through her organizations and just through her professional services. So um, she will be here to give perspective and also to really explain to us how far we have come with the strides that we have made with this disease. So I really want to welcome both of you, Honoreen and uh, Dr. Grace, to this platform once more. How are you guys doing today?
2: Great, Anya. Great, nice man. to be up again.
1: Great. So. Honour. You're welcome, Honoreen. So I'll start with you, Honoreen. Do you mind telling us about your story growing up with HIV? You know, start with maybe your upbringing and when you were first tested and why you were tested to begin with.
0: Okay. Good to know to everyone. Before I got to know my status, I was like very small. So I was always ill and uh, always rushed to the hospital. It happened that when my dad passed away, they had to like take me again to the hospital and redo the test. That was in 2008. Mm-hmm. When they did the test, they actually found out that I was positive. So they had to place me on medication. And little did I know that I was HIV positive. So I really didn't adhere to medication. Mm-hmm. and was having a high viral load. Mm. So I got to the age of 15 years old when I was being disclosed at the hospital. Actually, they really did not disclose the hus- at the hospital to me. What, what went on was, since I was always going to the hospital and collecting medication, I was very anxious knowing why I was taking medication. But so one day, unfortunately, the um psychosocial worker left my file under my keeping mm. to rush and collect something On coming back i had to flip through the pages very fast and i saw the HIV positive i didn't want to like believe i thought because i saw some medical issues of my dad too so i thought it could still be his own i came back i sat quietly until one day, when my mom had to uh, accompany me to the hospital to collect my drugs, and the psychosocial worker, that's my counselor, she had to like, disclose to me that that's who I am. Mm. Still, I didn't want to believe, and she asked me to like take it and try to disclose to one person that I trust. She asked who I fed my brother when I came back I didn't want to believe so whenever I came and I was like they said I should tell you that I'm positive <laughs> I didn't want to say I was positive I said they said
1: Right. so
0: he like put me down encouraged me and everything went over so it wasn't easy growing up knowing that I was positive because I got stigma also from the stress. Right. when I was always I was like very pale so People around me will always be like, "Look, you look like an expression." Mm. So I'll just be like, especially when I didn't know my status.
1: Yeah, I'll
0: just be like, go into my shell and stay there. Then still, I had this rash on me. It's even there up to now, but at least it's getting better.
1: Right.
0: And it said it's because of the antiviral, virus also. Hmm. So people will always be like. I went one day to school and I sat. a bench of mine was like, she has got up today and she has rash and she got it from me. Mm. I was like, I was so depressed in such a way that she had to leave the bench. It really demoralized me, but Mm. I went home and I refused. I told my mom I wasn't going to go to school again because what I have on me is like contagious. And... She went, I had to in school and talked to the teachers and they were like, okay, no problem.
1: That was how I kept on going. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I will only imagine what you went through. And it's rather unfortunate that a lot of the things that you experience, especially the stereotypes, they're really directly associated with the wrong impression that we have about HIV and eight, and hopefully Dr. Grace will will further elaborate on that eventually but so when you said you saw your your father's profile so i guess you well he was infected and that's why they decided to do the test on you
0: yeah i really didn't see if he was actually infected or not but i would want to assume
1: he was mhm yeah Right. Because so my mom took some medication. Right. So you probably think maybe you must have had it from birth. Yeah. Right. And if you don't mind me asking, and if you're okay with that, like you were the only one amongst all of your siblings who had who was tested positive.
0: Yes, I am the only one. Okay. Because actually, I'm the last.
1: Right. 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 Wow, that's that's that, that that must be really, really something that was hard for you to grow up with, especially at a very young age, wondering why you're the only one, you or you're the only child taking medications. And so, why do you think that they were hiding that diagnosis from you?
0: Well, it was actually good they hid it at that point point one time because mm-hmm. disclosing, well, disclosing the stages to someone it's not easy; it's not something yeah. to easily accept because it's not easy taking medication for the rest of your life.
1: Yes, that's true.
0: And with regards to the wrong information out there mm-hmm. that people have about HIV, they tend to stigmatize others.
1: Yeah, so that's true. So I
0: think that was the reason.
1: Yeah, and 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 that's that's actually why I asked it, because I I really wanted I I definitely I decided to ask that question because I really wanted the members of our community to really understand you know how stigmatizing and chastising a young child can literally affect their entire childhood and even affect their confidence and who they are because i'm very sure that your your mom and your or the people that actually knew about it they were trying to protect you because they probably understood how harsh our community can be i mean even without you knowing you're already being made fun of that you know hey you're very skinny looking like an aids patient it's like Those people did not even know that you were already an HIV patient, but you know, it's just that ideology or that mentality in our community that people always try to stigmatize you. I mean, when I was growing up as well, I was very, very skinny and a lot of people made fun of me. They made fun of my long neck. They made fun of my long hands and they were always saying I needed to eat something. I needed to eat something like I wasn't eating and stuff like that, like I was sick, so I can Somewhat relate to you growing up as a very skinny person, and uh, but I mean the only difference was I wasn't sick all the time as well. So I can only imagine what you went through. So when by the time they disclosed that disease to you, what did you know about HIV? Well,
0: before I got to know my is that I say I had the wrong information about HIV in school, but. With regards to the hospital level, they did their best because it took me through a period of time trying to cancel me, give me me the basics of HIV, of which when I finally understood and accepted that that's what HIV is all about, before they could disclose to you.
1: Right. And how did your life change after you discovered that you were HIV positive? Like, did you have, like, were you trying to seek, foreclosure like what happened why is it only me or like i mean how did you have to you know change the way your life you had to live your life moving forward
0: okay when i finally disclosed i know it wasn't easy but i had to use it as a stepping stone in my life
1: Hmm.
0: yeah so what i said to myself was that i will never let others have the wrong information that they give. So in my domain, I try every means possible to like educate others on the basics of HIV. And also because of that, I was being like put as an adolescent champion at my health facility. Mm-hmm. So I champion the other people to help them overcome stigma and discrimination and also adhere to their medication.
1: Right.
0: Wow, well, that's and great. I was being trained to community testing in my community mm-hmm. for HIV testing in my community right. at least doing a great job I'm using it as a stepping stone in my life
1: right
0: and talking of the modeling I had the competition yesterday and I was merged as the first choice oh that's nice
1: congratulations congratulations congratulations
2: uh, <laughs> my dear congratulations Thanks.
1: You know, you. I, you know, I'm, thank you know, I, I get so proud of people who use their story, especially the story of challenges, who use that to flip that around and make something positive out of it and have an impact in the community, because that's what we should be all about, having a positive impact on one another in the community. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing and using your platform to make that impact and a difference. Now, let's try to digress a little bit. Now, this Next question will be directed to you, Mom or Dr. Grace. So, based on the statistics that I read previously, and I mentioned that you know a lot of strides have been made towards you know especially HIV and AIDS. So, what is your opinion about the advancements that have been made with respect to this disease, especially considering how far we were behind we were in the nineties? You know, growing up, I saw you do so much. You know, I even kind of participated in some of the projects that you did, you know, to sensitize the community about HIV and AIDS. I I can never forget. I think they had like the ABCs of AIDS and stuff like that. And I just saw you blossom in your role as a healthcare professional and making an impact in the community by educating people and providing them with the resources that will help them to prevent or at least help them to treat or manage HIV and AIDS. So, what is your personal or professional opinion on how far we have come um, when it has to do with the scientific advancements in the uh, with with HIV AIDS?
2: Thank you for that question. I think the first thing is that I I just want to thank God that. Prayers are kind of answered because uh, when we talk about uh, 37.7 million people worldwide, we always know that about 75%, if not 80% of that population is in sub-Saharan Africa. So we are like that dumping ground where every type of disease is breathing. But this is showing how much people have become conscious of the disease And uh, the usual uh, stigma, stigma comes in two ways. Stigma from people around you, but also personal stigma. And the personal stigma is the guilt and the idea that I shouldn't die alone. If I got it, I must make sure that I have other people who are infected. So this statistic is showing that people are becoming conscious of there's self and the disease, and that there's hope. And um, and because of that, many people are going for the treatment and um, it's actually uh, yielding the fruit that we're looking for. It's better late than uh, never. And that's why, why do I say it's better late? Because if we had adhered to the advice given on the ways of protection and, of course, the early days in the 2000s where medications became more available to people. I think the data that we have now would have even been lower, especially in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, as somebody, like you said, who has worked uh, extremely hard uh, with HIV patients, both as patients. AIDS uh, patients, rather, not HIV patients, but HIV carriers. And then um, the community, um, we had, or oh, the NGO is still there because I'm not really uh, an active member of uh, the NGO. My current job does not permit me to, to be actively involved. But the last time that I went to Cameroon for home leave, I was impressed to see the number of people who came together, they are all HIV, people living with HIV. So we have to make a difference between somebody who is sick, somebody who is sick is an AIDS person. But somebody who just has the virus in the body is not sick, it's healthy. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why we do not know how to differentiate who can be a potential carrier from who um, is not. Uh, And so I was very impressed when I went to that office And I saw more than 40 men and women, young children, coming together, sharing their experiences on how they're managing the community, the the condition, what they were doing, learning how to eat well, and even doing some cookery lessons on how to go and improve on their uh, status. That gave me all the confidence that the work that I and a few colleagues of mine initiated in uh, two thousand uh, sorry nineteen ninety five have actually yielded fruits, and I was told that was just a a, a cream of the total number of people who visited that uh, center. And then there was nothing like, "Oh, you are the one," or oh, "I'm the one." Everybody was a sister and a brother and a child and a mother, and a father, and this is what. It's very important for us to be able to to master the disease. Uh, the fear now is with the current pandemic, uh, uh, the COVID pandemic, mm-hmm. the tendency is that people forget about HIV, but it is there. The good news about HIV, as um, I would call honoring my daughter, because I think she's much, much younger than even my last child. And so she's my daughter. I am so proud of you, the way you have handled it. Yes, it's true that you are just a victim of circumstances, but you have made yourself a victor. Yeah. And that is really great because one, you now understand, now you are fighting for others. I fought as a doctor who had to deal with patients at a time where there were no medications. You are fighting as a health champion who is giving hope to so many people to know that if you just adhere to one advice, that of taking your medication regularly, having your regular checks, and making sure that you do not expose yourself to the disease, then you live a normal life. Mm. I have known people who have lived for more than 20 years, but it's because they're on medication. They're doing their regular checks. And they are taking the necessary steps to prevent themselves, as we all know, the major ways in which this disease uh, is passed from one person to the other. So, my daughter, whatever award you had yesterday, it is just the beginning. It's not the end for you. There is a lot in store for you. And I can only encourage you that there is nothing that God cannot do on earth. And all we need to do is trust. We have to just obey. We have to say, I'm going to make good out of a bad situation. And you got that lesson. I don't know who taught you at a young age, but you got it and you're making use of it. So we'll be talking much about it as we go. But the bottom line is that, yes, there is a positive impact. And we pray that at one time or one day in one of these generations, this disease will be stamped out when everybody becomes conscious and does what is supposed to be done. I will end here as we'll continue to talk more.
1: Thank you very much, mom. So talking mm-hmm. about, you know, treat, taking your medications and uh, doing your tests um, regularly, right? Honoreen, what was or what is your treatment regimen at this point? And I know you said at the start, especially since you weren't even aware that you had HIV, probably were not taking your medications as seriously, you know, you weren't like adhering to the medication regimen as, as seriously as you did once you discovered, you know? So h- what is your regimen at this point? And are you like currently on so many medications or you're just on like the one daily medication and how do you manage to make sure that you're taking your medications?
0: Okay. Like I said, I wasn't adherent and I regret not doing that because of that. I was being sent to check online because of not being adherent. So right now, I'm currently on penolam Atazanavi, which I take once daily, that's in the morning. One from each container and everything is done. you are good to go. So, how do I like help myself take my medication? Um, I have an alarm in my phone, though, that mm-hmm. I take every 6 a.m. in the morning. So when it's 6 in the morning, it turns to alarm, and I take my medication. But at times, even before it's even alarms, I have already gone, because when you've taken your medication and it's already part of you, it's like when the time reaches, it's like something in you is missing. So as I talk.
1: Right. And how often do you have to check yourself and, like, do different tests at the hospital?
0: Okay. As for me, I do those checks, um like, after two months, every after two months. But right now, we have a month. There is shortage of drugs, so that cannot be possible. So I do that every month now because mm. there are no drugs available.
1: Wow. That is... um well, I, I hope that, you know, the the, the issue... I mean, th- 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 that is one of the issues that you, you probably have no control over. And I really hope that it gets resolved because, I mean, with a, a disease like HIV, you have to be on your medications, basically, you know, for the most part of your life. So hopefully that is being resolved and you can, you know, take continue taking your medications to suppress your viral load. So I'm really sorry about that. Yeah, also... Mm-hmm.
0: With, with regards to that, also, since the medication are out of stock, like me currently, I'm currently not on my right regimen. Right now, I'm taking um, abatalam and aluvia, mm-hmm. of which that's not my regimen. The medication I take is completely out of stock. So I had to be substituted for something else.
1: Mm-hmm. So do you think, are there any kind of like organizations that provide you know, medications for free and stuff like that or like how, how like what are the resources that you guys have out there that can really provide that additional access to to medications?
0: There are no organizations that provide the medications for free. Instead the organizations that I know of the ha the the if they, they are coming to us to collect that medication and give to the children
2: at home
1: who can't come to the, the facility for their medication. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like I said, hopefully, you know, you can eventually find a way to, to get your medications because they are definitely very important for, you know, your upkeep of your health and quality of life. So I'm really sorry to hear that. Now, talking about access to medications, uh, Dr. Grace you know, she's already, Honorini's already just spoke about, you know, the challenges that they're already facing at this point, you know, in terms of, like, what medications are in stock or out of stock. So when, you know, HIV was at its peak in the 90s, especially in um, Africa or Cameroon from our experience growing up, like, what, what challenges were there with respect to medications? Like, did people even believe that they were HIV positive for even taking their medications?
2: First, the, the stigma was there. And people didn't believe, and the reason people didn't believe is because HIV was at too purity, and so people felt like they were being uh, labeled as prostitutes, whether it be them uh, men or uh, women. So it was very easy for people to turn that around and uh, said they have been poisoned, uh, and then. Especially if they had one or two people with whom they have a squabble, they would just say they have been poisoned for one reason or the other. And um, unfortunately, our traditional healers capitalized on that to put a lot of confusion and make people believe that it was not due to HIV, but uh, people of the or witchcraft and that it was as a result of witchcraft practices. So many people did not even think of going to the uh, medical facilities, but they turned to the traditional healers, hoping that the witchcraft that has been inflicted on them would be removed and they can regain their health. So that's one of the hindrances get access to medication in those days. But the other hindrance is that when these medications first started, One, they were not even available in Cameroon, so a few people were bringing them from the States, and I remember that they were costing enormously, a huge sums of money. For instance, at the time, there were three different medications that people had to take, but one container of one medication was costing something like two thousand dollars. I want to use that so that everybody can understand who is not Cameroonian. For one container. And so people were not even able to buy the three uh, different types of medication at the time. And let alone, after buying for one month, $2,000 for somebody who is maybe uh, $500 a month, um, that already leaves the individual or the family person who is supporting into debt. And so they could not even continue. That was a challenge at the time. But towards uh, the year 2000, the medication became more available and they were government-sponsored. So people, to be able to, to uh, um, have access, you had to be registered with one of the treatment centers. So where you were diagnosed, you were given a file, and that becomes a treatment center for you. It wasn't like every health facility in the country had that access. I remember that in, in the hospital where I used to work, there was a center there. But then many people from neighboring villages or cities had to come to that one center to be able to have access. As time went on beyond 2000, 2002, uh, the situation became much improved. And district hospitals in Cameroon were also given the opportunity to be distributing centers. So some people had to move from the provincial hospital to those district hospitals to be closer home. I remember that even the NGO that I actually created and the main focus was on HIV, also started even a power program, like uh, our daughter said, to take the medication to the people. These were even to regions where they had no health facility at all. And even having money to come to the hospitals, on a monthly basis to get the medication was impossible. So that was one of the major projects that we had, and um, people in Momo and Mezam were able to benefit from it. But of course, you will remember that there are many more regions in the country that do not have that opportunity. So with the government subsidizing the drugs, it became more accessible. So those who were able to overcome the stigma, they were able to have access to the medication. I also remember that the Calic Mission uh, did a lot of work in that respect because I also know that the the there is a center in Akum where many people used to live from different subdivisions and go there. That center also even introduced the aspect of empowering people to regroup themselves as uh, groups of people living with HIV. And in that case, they were trained on some um, manual um, activities, like maybe group farming, cultivating vegetables, or some kind of marketing, something just to have the money. The money was not necessarily for the drug at that time, because the government had started, especially there was also the PEFA project from um, the U.S. government that was uh, supplying the medication. And then there's also the global health uh, source that was giving these medications. And so they were bound to be free or at least if people had to pay, they were paying more for the laboratory tests and very little for the medication. I don't remember having seen anybody paying for the medication, but yes to do the laboratory tests they had to pay for them. And so those activities kind of encourage the poor people who do not have any support, either from other relatives or from their own children or even siblings, to be able to manage themselves. One of the aims here was also to get people to eat properly. And so the, the idea of these group uh, activities for income-generating was one, pay um transport to the hospital, two, able to pay for your laboratory test, three, to be able to have something that allows you to eat a proper diet that would enrich even your body while you're taking those medications that are quite heavy. A lot of people had side effects during those period, so sometimes one of the discouraging factors of not adhering to the treatment was also the side effect that people had. And then, of course, it was difficult even to get the appropriate combination. People had just what was in the market. So the combination started coming much later when many more medications were being manufactured and sent into the market. And now we had the opportunity to have first-line treatment and second-line with monitoring through the viral load and uh, also the absence of other comorbidities. For instance, we knew that uh, those affected could easily come up with tuberculosis. They could have even some skin rashes. They could have some other diseases, diarrhea, and other issues that were not necessarily there because we know that HIV is not what is killing. It just breaks your body's immunity and allows your body to be exposed to other diseases. Yeah. So it's not the virus, the presence of the virus in your body that kills, but the presence of the other diseases that no longer respond to yeah. medication because your natural immunity is destroyed. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the challenges that a lot of people had to deal with and um uh, I cannot talk so much of my current environment because I'm working in a refined setup where we try to as much as possible to make uh, life comfortable for every staff member. And so accessibility where I'm currently working to the medication is very easy going. There are the groups that the government supplies, but there's also the group that individuals can pay. Here, the difference is that every worker of us has insurance coverage. And so the organization has negotiated with the insurance that the most reimburse the people 100%. So if I spend $100 for one month's treatment, I'm sure that I will recover that $100 from the insurance. And, uh, just some of the benefits that working with an international organization, uh, gives, um, uh, to, to the staff. Unfortunately, individual governments might not be able to do that. And then, like, us, which insurance policies are non-existent or when they are there, they are not properly managed, it still poses a financial challenge to people. Like now, if the medications are not available, as Honorine has just said, it's a matter of looking next door, the next country that has it, but you might have paid for them. Somebody needs to go there to get them. And these are some of the challenges. The challenges that not having the products locally can cause to those who really need them and most have them to make sure that they continue to maintain a suppressed viral load. Because once it is undetectable, it's like you're normal. And so your immune system picks up and is working, it's fighting as normal. And there's not, no difference between you and any other person who does not even have the virus in the body. So I feel a little bit sad when I hear that the medications are run out. And uh, this breaks my heart because innocent people would have to go through the torture of uh, resistance when you discontinue or when you take it half-hazardly. Not because they want, but because the medications are being provided half-hazardly.
1: Yeah, that's very true. Thank you so much, Mob for sharing your insight on that. And, you know, that, you know, this definitely highlights a problem that not only could be faced in Cameroon, but in other African countries. And this is definitely a call to the government bodies as well to really move and make those medications accessible to patients because without those medications which are very vital to their survival, you know, a lot of things, a lot of opportunistic diseases could potentially take advantage of their health and even make them sicker. You know, and also Honorine, based on the organizations and resources that my mother actually shared, hopefully you can after speaking with you, maybe you can go back and try to see if this organization still exists and try to see if you can also Look for ways to get access to medications if they're still providing those. Now, another thing that you spoke about, Dr. Grace, about, you know, people that, you know, when HIV was still introduced into the community, people who had to go see the traditional doctors and because they just just did not believe that they had HIV and AIDS, you know, with every new concept, with every new disease, it takes a while for especially members of our community to really believe that these things are real and we are seeing that with even COVID at this point, you know. But then again, this habit of going first to the traditional doctors, even before listening to scientific experts, it kind of reminds me of what we're also going through nowadays with cancer, right? Cancer is definitely a non communicable disease, unlike HIV and AIDS. And, but, A lot of people are still in denial and you see a lot of people hide their diagnosis because they think it's a death sentence and they don't want to have that stigma around them to know that they are dying or for people to know that they are dying, which, you know, there are a lot of cancer survivors, but a lot of our our people go first to the traditional doctors, which definitely interferes in the treatment process that would have otherwise started if they just went to seek professional scientific advice. So this is also another call to our community to really be to really have trust in science, have trust in your doctors, have trust in the health professionals that tell you that, hey, you have this disease. It may be hard for you to accept, but your first goal should not be going to a traditional doctor who does not even have any any training or expertise in such diseases. So back to you, Honorine. I know you already mentioned the support you got from yeah. your brother who is... I mean, that that's, which is very commendable. Did you get any other support from your family? And also, how did the external members of your community react to your diagnosis? Did you get any support from the community or, you know, you just, all you got was just a stigma?
0: Um, I got support from my sister and from my uncle and mom. Those were the people that I knew about my status. Talking of the community, apart from those in the organization that like in fact, they just came just a recently, so they have been helping one way or the other, but anybody out of the h i v department that works in it has really not helped me in, in any way or the other because. First, they didn't know if I was suspicious or not. So you know, when I finally disclosed my status, that people got to know that that's who I am.
1: Right. So, so far, this is directed to both of you, or at least to Dr. Grace. What are the most common ways that, you know, HIV and AIDS patients are typically stigmatized in our community?
2: I think I already mentioned one. Uh, the fact that people that somebody who is HIV positive is because uh, the person was sleeping with so many women or so many men, but not knowing that sometimes HIV can be got through blood transfusion. And in the case of my daughter, Honorine, uh she uh, definitely uh, was contaminated at the time of birth. So it's no fault of hers. It just happened that she was born into the family at the time when her parents were infected. Again, we normally don't even bother to say who brought it into the family. There are so many things that could have been responsible for that. Sometimes we've got children that have had HIV without even the parents being positive. And this is because in those days, we were not in the habit of screaming blood for some of those infectious diseases like hepatitis, HIV, malaria, and all of those things. So when a child comes with malaria in those malaria endemic environments, the first thing is to give blood transfusion, especially if it's complicated malaria with severe anemia. And so not properly screening the, the blood, or you screen the blood, but the person that the donor was just somebody who got infected yesterday, that blood might not necessarily show the germ, but it doesn't mean that the person is not HIV positive or the blood does not have germ. The thing is, it usually takes about two weeks for the laboratory test to show that the person has come in contact with the disease. And so, an early infection and immediate blood transmission might not necessarily be purely negative. So, it will be what we call first positive and negative, and then that child could have the the, the disease in that manner. So there are so many ways that people can have it. Poor hygiene in the hospital environment. We we know in those days they used to share syringes and needles. And that's what one of the things that you have to use just one syringe and needle and discard it. You don't use it for the next patient, not even to repeat it for the same patient. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the ways that the disease be transmitted through the blood that remains in that syringe. And you cannot wash that hole because it's very tiny. And uh, once you draw any medication and inject into the other person, because the quantity of blood is tiny, the medication will dilute it, so you will not even see that that, that medication is contaminated. Yeah. But it's, it's big enough to transmit hundreds of thousands of the virus into the person's, uh, 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 the recipient's body. So the stigma is mainly because the key way is through sexual intercourse, be it a heterosexual method, that means man and woman, Mm -hmm. through vagina and uh, penis or through oral sex or anal sex or people, yes, or people who are using drugs and sharing syringes, as I've just mentioned. So, and of course, from the mother to child, during childbirth. So these are ways that people don't want to talk about their sexuality. And so it becomes like a taboo. And everybody who is identified as HIV positive, is automatically, nobody bothers to know that apart from sex, there's a blood transfusion, there's a fluid, exchange of fluid from different body parts to the other person. And so they just look at it as if you were promiscuous. But one sexual intercourse is enough to contaminate somebody, you don't need to uh, to 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 sleep with so many people to have it if you sleep with the wrong person and at the wrong time you can be infected just one time it doesn't have to be repeated so this is the main reason why there was a lot of stigma and then of course when people started learning about the signs and symptoms that people lose weight they have diarrhea and all of those things so now it becomes like when you're losing weight you are stigmatized since you're HIV positive, and I remember that people back home kind of try to combat that by going to a fattening course where you just eat uncontrollably and put on unnecessary weight, which is not necessarily good to camouflage the fact that the individual could be having the disease. It doesn't stop uh, the body from manifesting if you're not taking medication to show that you still have the disease in your body. But why should we? I think the the statistics that we talked at the beginning of this conversation just shows that people are beginning to change their mentality and accept HIV as any other disease. Mm -hmm. And once you accept it as any other disease, it doesn't even matter how you get it. The important thing is show empathy to the person who is uh, infected and help the person to live as you treat somebody who has malaria with empathy. You treat somebody who has typhoid with empathy. We treat even people with tuberculosis with empathy. But we also know that you can get any of this disease from uh, the environment. Yeah. So key here is when we stop labeling people, calling people names, yes. then we show love. People are able to withstand Why do people commit suicide? It's just because they cannot bear the amount of stigma that exists in the community. And they say, if I'm worth nothing, if I'm hopeless, the best thing is to get out of this world. And the best thing is to take my life if God is not taking it for me. And that is a wrong impression. That's a wrong action. And so we should encourage everybody It it brings me to the idea of disability where people with different types of disability are like, put them to the corner, lock them in a room, nobody should see them because they're not fit in this community. No, all of us, whether you look uh, physically okay, nobody knows what is going inside. So empathy is very important in every situation. And when you show empathy, you show love. You make the person feel cherished. And the person can live a more comfortable life, supported by those who are loved around. Yes, you don't have to go to the street and put a big label that I'm HIV positive. But those who come to know about it should not make fun of it, but should show empathy and love.
1: Thank you very much, Mom. I, I I think everything that you just spoke about, it's complete truth. And hopefully, you know, we can all learn such lessons from this episode as we move forward. Now, trying to digress a little bit, and this question is directed to you, Honoreen. How has your diagnosis of HIV actually impacted your dating life? So... Like I said, you know, we all want to fall in love one day. We want to have a family. We want to have a partner. So, like, how do you tell people that you're dating if you have been dating? How do you tell them that you're positive? And what is the usual reaction or the typical reaction from people that you tell that you're dating? And have you had any kind of issues being in a relationship because of the status, your HIV positive status?
0: Yeah, so it's actually not easy to to people when Anyone comes closer to me and you like know, try to ask for a I just like who I am. But most of the time, they take me for a job. Mm. So, what I do is it's either you come and I do you the test and I do mine and you see, or I present my results to you. And when I present, some people will take and some people will like, we'll talk later, and that's all. We won't talk later anymore. And some some people will not take you for who you are. Right. Yeah. And like some will be like, okay, they'll convince you, they'll like encourage you quite all right. And they'll be like, I'll always be there, but I cannot get into a relationship with you because I don't wish to be infected in the future. Now when you say like that it's because I just tell them that's because you don't know the, the 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 knowledge about HIV because if you do you, you you will help to encourage the participants to take the medication and for those who don't want to accept they walk away and i walk
1: away right wow i can only imagine that must have been really um tough on you and you know i i just hope that you eventually find that person who will accept you for who you are because regardless of your hiv status it's very important for someone who you're with. To first of all accept you for who you are with all your flaws that you come with, or that we all come with as human beings, you know. And again, about this disease, you were very right when you said that, you know, it's because they don't know a lot about the disease. Because, like my mom had said, you know, with low, she know there, there are a lot of people, a lot of couples, some who are positive and negative, like each couple, um, one person is positive and the other is negative. Uh, the positive person has a very, very low viral load that it's almost insignificant. And they live their lives very normally. They don't have any issues. They actually have children. They bear children. And, you know, life goes on. So here's to the people who are still a little bit terrified by the disease, HIV. It's actually very, very straightforward if you tend to look at it and as long as the people are adhering to their medications life can be as normal as any other person who does not have hiv now let's just try to round up this episode and i just want to thank you guys for actually coming on here i just want to get like one last word from each of you like you know based on your your various experiences what will you say to our community about you know supporting hiv or aids patients and also reducing the stigma surrounding this disease so i would go first with you honoreen
0: Okay, what I would like actually to say to the community is HIV is like it's not a death sentence for those who are blessed. Uh, you can actually live your life the way you want and overcome whatever situation you face in life. And then for the community, I would just like to like, inform us. Let's be let's be informed about the right information. You can always search around you know what HIV is all about. Probably. Like, Try to voice out a word to someone who is positive and those who are on medication. They should adhere to medication, attend a viral suppression, and live a healthy life. That's just all I'll say.
1: Thank you very much. And how do the listeners reach out to you if they, I mean, how do they contact you if they need to to reach out to you for any resources or any advice?
0: Okay. To get to me, you can get to my email at or you get to me over WhatsApp uh,
1: Okay, thank you very much, and I'll have that in the show notes as well. Now to you, Dr. Grace or Mom, like I fondly call you. <laughs> so, what do you have to say to our community about you know supporting HIV and AIDS patients and also reducing the stigma that surrounds this disease, especially in the African community?
2: Uh, Honorine has already said it all. Support, support, support. World AIDS Day is not meant to see who is positive and who is negative. It is to encourage people to accept HIV as any other disease. We don't know where it came from. We don't even know where COVID has come from. It might be, again, we're going to live with COVID as we're living with HIV. The difference between COVID and HIV is that it's easy to avoid being contaminated with HIV than it is with COVID. We should avoid stigma. Before you call names, please remember the famous say that if you point the finger at one person, four are pointing at you. Examine yourself. If you put yourself in the shoe of the other person, then you will know the right word to say. You will know how to behave and encourage, and support, and we can form a better world.
1: Thank you so much, Mom, and thank you a lot, so much, Honoreen, for, you know, sharing your story publicly, and I hope that your story impacts a lot of people out there and also mobilizes people to stand up and own their truth and own their story, and I just want to also thank both of you for giving your keen advice to our community on, you know, how we can be more mindful and show more empathy to one another, especially those who, you know, are, you know, have this HIV positive status or at least have the disease. So hopefully the conversation doesn't end here. Hopefully we can take these conversations and have this, you know, sit down within our circles and have these conversations and discussions with one another and be there for each other and encourage each other as we go through life. I just want to thank you guys once more and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.
0: Anyo FarmBard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.